You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Good morning. This is Frank Cottle with the All Work Future of Work podcast. Uh, Today we have the pleasure of having Mark Hemeter, the founder and CEO of Office Evolution with us. Uh, Mark has been an industry veteran, leader, thought leader, uh, company leader, and has a very innovative approach to our industry and flexible work in general. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Frank. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about Office Evolution, uh, your own history? I know you and I have known each other forever. But can you share a little bit of your own history and Office Evolution's history uh, with with everybody? Yeah, I, I think it's important to go back into the history pre-Office Evolution. So I was um, born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii, in a family business that was all about hospitality. So um, I helped with projects around casinos, believe it or not, hotels, resorts, food and beverage, uh, um, retail. And so I've been around hospitality and big, complicated real estate projects my entire life. In 2003, um, 18 years ago now, I founded Office Evolution, uh, mostly because I was a client of a was now a competitor of ours. And I love the model. I love that we were surrounded by small businesses and entrepreneurs. And I've loved entrepreneurs my whole life. My entire family are entrepreneurs. And that's important because it's part of our culture at Office Evolution. So I started Office Evolution in 2003, coming from another flex office provider. Um, And we always stuck to a model that's been successful through the 2008, 2009 recession, been successful through this pandemic. And it has three components. First of all, we focus on local small business owners. We don't go after the big corporate users, the enterprise, those things. We focus on the, that local lawyer in your community. Uh, number two, we, we build in the suburbs. We build suburban and secondary market locations that are close to where our people live. So we are not an urban or downtown or business center type operator. We're a suburban and secondary market operator. And third, which is the most important part, is we're locally operated. So we're a franchise model. We have 73 open locations today. 63 of those 73 are owned by local franchisees. So again, uh, local business focus, locally operated in in the suburbs with franchisees. That's our model, and it's been resilient through all sorts of ups and downs for the last 18 years. You know, Mark, the, the franchise model is interesting, and I think that's a good place to start delving into a little bit. We hear about the expansion of flexible workspace, co-working, business centers, uh, uh, serviced offices, accelerators, incubators, all different variety of brands or of, of, of companies. Um, only a few, though, have chosen or have been able, and I think that's more the issue, have been able to franchise, even though a lot of people talk about brand extension and franchising. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little definition of what a true franchise is versus uh say a wannabe yeah uh, uh, and 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 the differences between franchising and licensing and or just brand extension and franchising so i'll answer that question two ways frank okay I'll, I'll describe kind of the legal definition of a franchise um which will surprise a lot of people and the second one is what does it take to be a successful franchisor in my view so the legal definition of a franchise is actually there's only three components is there a brand name being used a shared brand name, number one. Is there a shared operating manual? Another, in other words, a way of doing business. And number three, is there a change of money? Does somebody get paid a fee for that? 
If those three answers are yes, brand name, shared operating structure or, or operations manual and a fee, then it's a franchise under US government law. And a lot of people try to get around that by calling it a license or something else. And that's okay until you get to a certain scale and somebody starts saying, no, I really think you're a franchise. Being a franchise isn't necessarily scary. It's just there's a lot of reporting requirements. There's a lot of legal issues that you have to work through to be a franchise. In my view, the most successful franchisors are ones that realize that their success is based on the success of their franchisees. So a franchisor is only as successful as their franchisees are. And um, I hope that that's the culture we've instilled at Office Evolution. I see lots of other, I mean, there's 7,000 franchises in the United States, from Burgers to Office Evolution. The most successful ones are focused on their franchisees, not the company, if that makes sense. No, I, th I, I really think it does. I know uh, we have had uh, an alliance in years past, and, and currently we have our alliance network, uh, which is not a franchise uh, because we don't share the name uh, in the same way. Um, but we've always had a decision-making philosophy internally. And I, I know your company, and I think you're very much aligned with this, where every decision we make, we say, is it good for the members? We, have, we, we call our members first. So is it good for the members? If it's good for the members, even if it's harder for us, we say, well, that's what's going to make them most successful. That's what's best for them. So that's what we're, we need to do. And I know you've got your Ohana set up, which is kind of neat, kind of interesting. Um, but how, how do you go about making decisions um, of the we, they, because that always comes in with franchisors and franchisees. Uh, we've seen others in our industry go through that, um, larger companies in, in, in some cases. Um, how do you how do you go through your own establishment of that role? You, you know, it's a it's a really tough balance because on one hand, like we said, you you want the best for the franchisees, you want to do that motivates them and make has them make money, um, and so that's a huge priority. But on the other hand, if you have a weak franchisor who isn't getting paid enough fees, or is spending so much time reinventing the wheel at every location, different systems, different processes. That isn't good for the system either. So you need a franchisor who is strong in making money and you need franchisees who are strong in making money. Uh, and that is a very difficult balance. And um, it certainly is not as simple as saying the franchisees always win. And it's certainly not as simple as saying the franchisor always wins. There's a balance in the middle. Well, you know, the uh, issue of, of how you choose your franchisees mm -hmm. or how they choose you is important. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you're, I know you're, you have 70 some uh, units up right now, but I also know you have quite a number of units that have been sold that haven't been opened yet. You always have a pipeline of new new franchisees coming on. And that's, again, that, that's uh, unique uh, in in the industry for a company, uh, candidly, of your size. Mm -hmm. Others have really struggled getting getting that critical mass going where you guys have been succeeding very consistently. Yeah, no, we've been um, we've been fortunate, um, and I and it all starts to me with the franchisees and our corporate team. Uh, we built a great team that's really um, rallied around this concept of Ohana and and serving our franchisees, and likewise, we've got franchisees who believe in win win, which is one of our core values, one of our five core values, and they believe that um, their comments and their help and their expertise also make the system better. So you're right; it is it's very important to pick the right franchisees. It's very very important. It's hard to do. 
Um, we've had franchisees who surprised us both ways. Um, and but it's it's uh, it starts there and it starts with alignment about what we're all trying to accomplish. The franchisees have to have the, the ability, right? The business acumen to do this. Um, they also have to have the right attitude. They certainly need to have the right balance sheet, uh, but they have to have the right attitude to, to work on this together as a kind of a shared vision, uh, building a company together. Well, you know, you've referenced and I've referenced uh, Ohana a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, people throughout the audience uh, are familiar with that term. Um, and what an important part it plays uh, within your overall structure, uh, not just between uh, you and your franchisees, but between the, the, the centers and the members within the centers as well. How, right. how does Ohana extend and, and live inside yeah, so of your Ohana, since I'm from Hawaii, like I said earlier, Ohana is a Hawaiian word that means family. But it also, in the way we interpret it, in the way we install it and put it out there, it's a, it's a group of people all working together for a common purpose, a common cause. Um, which can be true in Hawaii. A football team can be an ohana, for example. Sure. And that's how we use it, use it here. Canoeing. What was that? I say, or, or my canoeing team. Your canoeing team. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we treat this as ohana. This is not grandpa sitting out in the front porch drinking a bourbon. That is not what this is. This is an active group of people working together for a common cause. And so if you went to all of our locations and asked any employee throughout the whole company and they said, what's your culture? They'd all say ohana. And they can all tell you what it means. And so what it means, and it really starts with our customers. Remember, our customers are small business owners. They're the ones who write the checks. They're the ones who own the business. Our franchisees write the checks and own the business. And we do the same here. We are all small business owners together in this, figuring it out. So we're this, this ohana of small business owners trying to figure out how to make uh, make make our way through life and make our, make our way through our businesses. And that unifies us. And it did remarkable things through the pandemics. Um, because we all know we're, we're striving to work for each other's better interests and improve the Ohana, no one threw rocks during the pandemic. No one blamed, no one finger pointed. Everybody said, this sucks. What do we do to make it better? But no one lobbed hand grenades at each other during the entire thing. And I credit that to the power of Ohana. Well, you know, I, I think it is important um, uh, overall to, to really understand that. Uh, all companies need, particularly franchise companies, because you've got so many layers, mm -hmm. they need something that draws their culture together. And I think that goes well beyond the franchise concept, certainly, uh, overall. Um, it's every company, everybody needs something that draws people together. Uh, and, and you've chosen family, which is a wonderful extension. And I understand how, you know, I've spent many, many years in Hawaii as well, and as you know, and and uh, I understand how strong Ohana is as a, not just as a word, but as uh, a complete lifestyle. Uh, and I think that's what you're trying to, that's what you've succeeded in creating. Yeah, you know, Frank, if you think about our users, our customers, our customers all started their own small businesses, 90% of them. And they did that most likely because they believed in their own talents and what they could do. They wanted to spend more time with their family. They, got, they were sick and tired of the commute. They were sick and tired of missing their kids' t-ball games. So for them, starting their businesses was, was about family from the beginning, their families. And yeah. so we're just multiplying that. And that's, you know, maybe later in this talk, we'll talk later about kind of enterprise and, and why we don't really go after enterprise because while enterprise is a great solution and there's a lot of that out there and we get our, we get our fair share of it, 
it's not what we're really about at the end of the day. We're about that small user who wants a place to hang out and feels like they're part of a family. Well, no, I, th I think that's great. The concept of community is so strong within so many centers uh, and it's talked about so, so much, but you've really taken the concept of community and elevated it to family. And I think that's an important distinction. It's not just a word, it's not just uh, a hyper networking. Uh, you, you really have, have elevated it. Um, one, one of the, I don't want you to know, have to give away any trade secrets here, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to pound on you a little bit. Um, uh, many people in the industry look at franchising as a solution for, ex for extending their own brand huh? uh, uh, or their own reputation, because very few companies in our industry actually have a brand. When you say, oh, I, I have a co-working center, most people say, oh, uh, like we work. Um, even though they're, they're quite a challenged company right now. Um, uh, uh, if you say I have a business center, it's oh, like Regis. It's the same. Those companies have a brand. Most small companies do not. But they do have a good reputation uh, in almost all cases. And, and they want to understand how to extend that. In, in the services that you provide, um, they differentiate from other franchise uh, organizations that I've seen in the past or, or that I see currently. You do a lot of centralized work that mm -hmm. lessens the load for the franchise operator in the field. Um, could you kind of describe some of your centralized services sure. briefly so that people understand what it takes to launch a franchise versus just having a great brand and, and maybe a great operating uh, uh, policy? Well, let me start with the why first and why we do this. So, so. I come from the hotel business and I try to be a student of that business. And if you, you watch everything from a Hilton all the way down to a Hampton Inn or a Fairfield Inn, they centralize a lot of services to try to make those hotels as simple as possible. The other thing is keep in mind that our locations are suburban secondary markets and they're smaller. So, you know, they're 10,000 feet or so, 15,000 feet. And um, so we need to make sure they're really, really efficient. So we ask ourselves all the time, what do we put out in the field as a responsibility and what can we centralize to make those locations more efficient and also give us scale, the ability to add more locations on, you know, plug and play pretty quickly. So that's why we do it. Um, so what we do, for example, right now is we do all of the invoicing for all the locations centrally. We issue all the invoices, collect all the money, deposit in the franchisees accounts so they don't have to. And Frank, we didn't say one thing, but very stuff right there. You just do the invoicing, or do you have a, <coughs> excuse me, a master operating system that handles other elements within the system? No, we have a master operating system for sure. I mean, we have an overall enterprise level infrastructure that handles all of this. So, um, if you, so I'll give you an example. We, like we said, we do all the invoicing, collect all the money, deposit in the franchisees' accounts, so they don't have to. And remember, each office evolution location has only one employee at the at the at the center. Um, um, one, one employee, not meaning not the investor owner, but one staff member. One okay. one paid staff member plus the franchisee. Several of our franchisees actually fulfill that role too. They're the they're the operator too. But generally, it's a, it's a, an employee. Um, so one of the I'll give you an example why this is another reason why this is important. Well, let me back up. So we do central telephone answering, do centralized support, set, centralized technical support. Um, centralized marketing. We have one single website for the entire system that we maintain. We have two pay-per-click vendors that we maintain that the franchisees work for work with. 
So there's a lot of things that we centralize to do the heavy lifting so the franchisees don't have to. Now they pay us fees for those, but they don't have to go figure it out on their own. Um, the other thing, Frank, is, you know, for example, we allow every customer to use any location anywhere in the United States 24-7. So where this gets complicated is if you move between franchise locations because they're owned by different people. So if you go from an location in Columbus, Ohio, to one in Indianapolis, Indiana, which happens all the time, behind the scenes, we figure out how the money moves around. And so that's another example of centralized services that we have to provide. How about reservations and booking yeah. and, yeah. and things of that nature? It's all, all centralized. I mean, the franchisee plug, plugs and plays into our centralized technology platform so they don't have to, they aren't reinventing the wheel every time. That's what they pay us for. They pay us for a system and that's what we provide. You know, I'm going I'm to go one step further. One of the big changes that we're seeing in the industry uh, over the last several years uh, has been the utilization of uh, phones, live reception, uh, uh, phone systems, et cetera. Many centers that are built today, co-working centers in particular, uh, don't put in centralized phone systems for the center, uh, for the client. So they say, well, the client already has a mobile. Why do they need that? Um, <clears throat> how do you handle tele telephony, uh, live reception, things of that nature? Uh, centralized, individualized? Centralized. Uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's centralized. It's a big nationwide VoIP telephone system. So we have our own phone switch in a co-location here, center here in Denver. And we install VoIP telephones around the country, plug and play. Um, we are definitely looking at upgrading that system to going to one that has more bells and whistles where you can have an app on your phone and in essence, in essence, you're in the center. But right now it's um, a centralized telephone system. There's no local phone numbers at every location. There's no T1s or all that old stuff or SIP trunking at a location. We do it all centrally. We can get phone numbers in New York and Florida and California and Washington. We have all that, but it's all centralized plug and play at the location. So basically, a, a franchisee in your system, this is going to sound like a plug, I don't mean it to, uh, but I, I think it's a differentiator um, in your system. Really, they are primarily and singularly almost responsible for two things. Uh, first, um, the physical plant, uh, mm -hmm. the center and, and the relationship with the, the property company. And, and in some cases, they probably own their own buildings as well. Uh, and second, Ohana service, yeah, family. That's it. They have one other responsibility and that they have the sales functionality. They have to close the deals. So we drive leads, they close deals. And so they're all in charge of their own pricing, how they want to price. Um, and that's one of the things we're looking at too. Can we centralize a sales opportunity for them or some sort of, of, sort of hybrid? Um, so, uh, but that, yeah, that's the only differentiator from what you said is they have to close the deals in today's system. Well, I would say that you probably can centralize sales yeah. uh, uh, on certain things, or at least in certain time zones. Uh, you can take over sales on the east time, east coast, uh, when they close the office, and still uh, you still have uh, you know leads and things of that nature coming in through your website, so people don't have to wait. We have a real so practical concern too, since we only have one employee and a and a franchisee who probably has another career um, or another job. What happens when that? that we call them a BCM, business center manager. What happens when that BCM is sick, has a, has their own T-ball game to go to? Um, moves, quits, how do we cover the sales functionality for a location like that when there is nobody at the front desk? So that's another reason to do it too. Well, I, I would say sales functionality is important there, but most most important is service functionality mm -hmm. in that in that case. How, how do you sustain services, which really is a question. You brought yeah. it up, so I'm gonna ask the question. Yeah. How, how does that happen in a light load, 
And I won't single you guys out for that because I know uh, the largest operator in the world currently has a policy in many locations for a one person yeah. uh, support. Uh, you know, so so that that is seems like it's becoming uh, almost not a norm, but but very close to yeah. even in large centers. Yeah, and so we can operate all of the central technology with nobody at the front desk. Like we said, billing, conference room reservations, internet, all those type of things. Um, you know, to me, Frank, it's a game of setting expectations. And I like I use Southwest Airlines all the time because I love Southwest. I love their culture. I love their discipline of what they've decided to do. They tell you, look, you're going to line up by number. There's no first class seats. We don't have a lounge, yada, yada, yada. And people are like, that's fine. I understand the expectation. And so we do the same thing. We say, listen, we're going to be able to keep your rates low, have this close to your house because we only have one employee. And sometimes that one employee isn't going to be there. And they say, okay, that's fine. And typically what we find is the members pitch in. The members will sign for the FedEx from time to time. The member will be going to get a cup of coffee. They'll see somebody at the front desk who hasn't, we use the Greetly system, who's working on the Greetly. And they'll say, hey, how can I help you? So when you set this expectation of Ohana and we're working together and we're going to keep your costs low because we only have one employee, we find that the customers actually rally around that and help out. Well, let's talk about pricing for just a second. You see, you keep the cost low, but you know it's a competitive market. You want to make the sale uh, overall, yeah. but you also have to have certain margin expectations in order to grow the business and attract um, uh, investor franchisees. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance there, of course, but how far do you go to the keep the price low concept that you just made versus the make the profits high so I get more franchisees? Yeah, you know, that's it's it's a great question. We are certainly don't push ourselves out there as a low cost leader. We push ourselves out there as a as a great value solution with an amazing culture and a national reach. And so, um, you know, in this in the pandemic, there's certainly a much more cost conscious consumer trying to keep the price down. Absolutely. And I don't know how long that's going to last. But in terms of our pricing, you know, it's also don't forget set by the franchisees. So it is not a national program. It is set. It's hyper local deal by deal as necessary in this type of situation. And we give that level of, of responsibility to our franchisee and trust them to make the right decisions. It's their money at the end of the day. You know, um, Mark, you have uh 20 years experience, a uh, national footprint, uh, you get probably better feedback from, or more aggressive feedback at least, from your franchisees than a lot of larger organizations actually even get from their managers. Mm -hmm. um, you're doing a, collecting a lot of centralized data, all these things going on. So here's the, the final question for you, because we're going to run out of time here in a moment. Um, final question for you is, how do you see or where do you see the industry at large going in the next three to four years? Uh, and, and what expectations do you have for the industry, not for your own company, but for the industry overall? I think we have a lot of tail. We have we had a short, short storm of a lot of headwinds, but there's a lot of tailwinds coming behind us and that we're positioned uh, the industry in exceptionally strong place. I think the, clearly the flexible office space world is, is going to accelerate. Uh, however, I also think there's going to be a big change in how our customers use us. Uh, previous to the pandemic, most people signed a, you know, a full-time lease. It was their office full-time. The pandemic's proven that we can all work remotely. And why would our customers be any different? And why wouldn't they want to stay home two days a week and come into an office three days a week? 
So I see a shift, even though we're flexible, we're going to have to become even more flexible. And, and we're doing this now, offering packages with, you know, you want an office one, two, three days a week, five days a month uh, versus 30 days a month. And so I think we're in the right place, but we're going to have to become even more flexible than we have in the past. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, going back historically, uh, um, uh, the part-time office was a genuine product that about about 15, 20 years ago got replaced by the virtual office. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're going to see, certainly what we see in co-working centers, a lot of them have plans that include a certain utilization structure that's uh, per week, per day, per month uh, overall. And so we, we are going to see a more consistent use of those those types of plans, not just in co-working centers, but act, and not just as virtual offices, but in the classic business center and serviced office sector as well. Yeah, they've been a, a kind of a bolt-on secondary product in my view. And and I think they're gonna start becoming a very much of a leading product here soon, if not already. Absolutely, I think it'll be become primary. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I think you shared a lot of valuable information for, for people, not just that are in our industry, but they're thinking of coming into the industry and franchising and, and maybe being uh, on one or the other side of that. So thank you for being so open and sharing and we really do appreciate it. Great, thank you very much for inviting me, Frank. I really appreciate it as well. My pleasure. Thanks. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?